the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 481 for August 30th, 2015. Verizon finally embraces activation of non-Verizon devices, Apple announces its fall iPhone event, and how to choose a cloud storage solution. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. First up this week, AT&T began rebranding its IusaCell and Nextel properties in Mexico under the AT&T name starting this week. Moving forward, people who visit IusaCell or Nextel stores when buying AT&T uh, Unidos service plans will also be uh, finding themselves buying AT&T devices and services. So AT&T said the stores will be rebranding uh, throughout the rest of the year and all should be converted by late 2016. Verizon this week stating that they will start allowing customers to bring non-Verizon devices to its network and will also activate them without hassle. So Verizon has allowed non-Verizon devices on its network, but you had to do it in kind of a sneaky way. A lot of times having an activated SIM card, LTE SIM card, and then putting it into a non-Verizon device. However, the program officially beginning this week, having Verizon uh, activating both uh, iPhones and Google's Nexus 6 devices, and uh, the only real requirement here is that the device must be unlocked prior to it being activated on the network, so it can't be locked to another network, of course. Now, Potential customers uh, can see if their Nexus 6 or iPhone is compatible by heading to um, the Verizon website. You enter in your device ID, such as the ESN or IMEI, and then you'll be taken to a page prompting you to enter in your SIM ID, and you can either do that or then purchase a new SIM uh, from a Verizon store. And once you do that, Verizon will then show you plans, and your device will be allowed to activate. Now, haven't you been able to put in an L, uh, you know an LTE card from Verizon into some other branded iPhones and get them to work with Verizon? Yeah, you have. And I mean, I've done this both on an iPhone. Um, although if you recall, I had this story about a year ago where I did this for somebody where I had a Verizon SIM and put it into a T-Mobile unlocked iPhone. And the problem was the, the, the phone itself didn't have the CDMA band, but I was able to get LT and I was able to use data on it, but it didn't have CDMA in it. So I wasn't able to make phone calls because of course it was an older iPhone and didn't do voice over LTE uh, for calling. But I also have done this now for a year and a half or so with an iPad that I purchased from T-Mobile. I had a Verizon uh, SIM card that I activated and used that. I activated it on a Verizon iPad and then took it out and popped it into this non-Verizon iPad. Uh, granted, all the iPads are essentially unlocked, so it shouldn't have been an, an issue. And it's not an issue. It works just fine. Uh, but Verizon deciding uh, that they, they really weren't interested in supporting uh, the device in the respect that they wouldn't let me activate the SIM card just with that particular uh, iPad. I needed to use put the SIM into another iPad to get it activated and then pop it out and put it in. So so essentially, yes, they have allowed it, but now they're just making it easier for people to do this. Well, that's good. It's too bad it's not for more devices, but I suppose they have to start somewhere. Yeah, I guess that's that's a good point. Uh, although, if you think about who who's buying unlocked devices, I mean, you know, the Nexus 6 makes sense. There's not that many of them, though. Obviously, a million iPhones, millions of iPhones, uh, almost a billion iPhones out there. There's just, there's, 
just um, there's a lot of people that are using these. And so um, there's a number of Android devices out there. They just had to pick one. And I guess this was as, uh, you know, as trivial as they I mean, they could have been anything. So, yeah. And of course, you know, with the iPhone, though, they since they really are the same hardware across all the different, uh, you know, well, almost all the different versions there, uh, you know, in the U.S. with the exception of the I think the other. Well, no, it's the iPhone 6 is the same one for all the sprints and all those different bands. So, yeah, it's, it's the same device. So they should be able to support it. No reason that they they couldn't. And I guess maybe that's the point is that it's essentially the same radio stack in every device, every Nexus and every, uh, you know, recent iPhone. So that that makes a lot more sense. In Sprint News, they on Monday extended their direct to you service across the metro areas of Minneapolis, St. Paul, Orlando, Phoenix, St. Louis, San Antonio and Seattle. This offers a visit to your home from a Sprint technician, bringing the store experience to you. Also beginning this week, people who complete a direct-to-you appointment will receive a free gift, such as the Motorola Bluetooth headphones that are out there from Sprint or the Harman Kardon Bluetooth speaker. Sprint also began a promotion this week going directly after rival AT&T, company offering DirecTV customers who switch over to Sprint 12 months of free service. This includes unlimited talk, text, and up to 2 gigs of 4G data. They will also pay your early termination fee if you switch over, as well as any remaining equipment payments up to $300. Customers who will then be responsible, though, for the $36 activation charge and any monthly taxes or fees. Though once the 12-month promotion ends, you'll be moved over to a $50 monthly service plan for a single line. The free year of service does not include Sprint's international services, and data overages are charged at uh, $0.015 per megabyte. The promotion will be available from August 28th through September 30th. T-Mobile clarifying its Band 12 support requirements for handsets this week, saying uh, those that operate on its network um, will be required uh, when using Band 12 to support E911 and Voice over LTE in order to be certified on their network. So, they say they do this in the interest of consumers' overall experience and safety. However, they will not be forcing phone makers to support Band 12. They said every OEM has the option to support Voice over LTE and E911. It's their decision, and we hope that they choose to support the features and get certified on our network. It's the, an issue of safety. Uh, handsets that include Band 12 but don't support Voice over LTE and E911 can run into roaming issues, preventing 911 calls from connecting properly. This came up with the recent announcement of the Motorola E and the Moto E as discovered to not have voice over LTE, LTE or E911 support. See, this is what, uh, you know, kind of one of these little uh, sub-issues that you run into with uh, devices and all these different LTE channels that uh, that they have. And, and, you know, some carriers have this, these, these bands, these frequencies, some phones don't. And while they kind of work, they kind of don't. But now that we're getting to the, the, the really complicated issue is, a voice over LTE now, then the 911, then all of a sudden this starts making more and more, it starts getting more and more complicated again as far as, you know, we, it seems like we start getting simpler and simpler and simpler, and then all of a sudden it qu- quickly diverges again as they start, you know, layering on new technology. And this is just one of, one of those little issues that creeps up. Yeah, and it's, you know, certainly it's not like the, you can't use the phone. It's just uh, it's something that is now being supported and becoming a standard. And if you have devices uh, that don't support it, then it just kind of becomes a, um, you know, a hit or miss type of thing. And so it, it's it's not, not advised, I guess. So uh, finally, in T-Mobile news this week, they added its network to the Competitive Carriers Association LTE Data Roaming Hub. Now, 
This gives uh, members and their customers access to T-Mobile's LTE network for data roaming purposes. The hub is a collection of roaming agreements between small rural carriers and large national ones, such as Sprint and T-Mobile. The purpose, to give larger carriers access to rural networks of regional carriers and give those regional carriers access to metropolitan 4G networks of the larger carriers. T-Mobile has participated in the hub from a management perspective for some time, but has not yet contributed access to its own network. T-Mobile's network is relatively strong in urban cores, but lacks some rural coverage found by other national carriers. Cricket on Monday made a new plan available with offerings to additional countries throughout Central and South America. For only $10 a month, Cricket customers can add Colombia, Costa Rica, and the Dominican Republic, providing 150, 100, and 100 voice minutes respectively, as well as unlimited messaging for text, picture, and video. For $15 a month, you gain various amounts of voice minutes and unlimited messaging for El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Jamaica, Haiti, and Nicaragua. These options must be added to Cricket's $50 and $60 monthly plans. Cricket also improving its Canada plan. Subscribers to the $50 and $60 plans will receive unlimited talk and text to and from Canada when roaming for free. And Apple this week announcing that Apple Pay is now compatible with Pay Anywhere. This is a credit card reader in use with over 300,000 locations in the U.S. Apple will sell its newest version of Pay Anywhere terminals to merchants through its own stores. The deal expands the availability of Apple Pay, and they hope to see Apple Pay accepted at more than 1.5 million locations before the end of the year. In device news, Apple sent out invitations to media outlets this week for its next event coming up September 9th. The tagline this year reads, Hey Siri, give us a hint. The event will take place at 10 a.m. Pacific at the Bill Graham Auditorium in San Francisco. Apple's September event is set to include the next generation iPhone 6S and iPhone 6S Plus hardware, as well as the long-awaited Apple TV update. Speaking of the Apple TV, the invite Hey Siri and the tagline reference uh, very potentially the iOS-based version of the Apple TV TV that we've uh, seen rumored here for a number of months. Uh, As for new iPhones, the expected major upgrades include camera improvements, uh, possibly a 12-megapixel back camera, 4K video recording, and also a screen flash that helps to illuminate someone's face when taking a selfie, similar to how the Max Photo Booth uh, application works. Also, force touch on the iPhone screens is also expected, though the extent of the functionality is still yet unknown. We're going to know a lot more about this within the next two weeks. So I, you know, I thought, hey, that's, uh, you know, give us a hint. I thought, oh, I'll try that with Siri, and it didn't work. And then uh, later in the day, uh, then it did work. It started giving snarky uh, responses to that question. Yeah, it, it, and that was actually, I'm sure everyone decided to do this because I thought it was kind of interesting. But if you didn't, uh, you said, hey, I said, hey, sir, give us a hint. And it said uh, to me, you'll have to wait until September 9th. I bet you were one of those kids who snuck downstairs to open presents early, weren't you? And I thought that was pretty funny. That is pretty funny. What, what mine told me something about the wavy lines of the invite or something. But uh, I was surprised <laughs> that didn't work uh, to begin with. So it did, did some sort of local search and found something nearby. I, I don't really know what it was trying to do so very strange but it should be pretty interesting here i'm i'm more curious you know i i know we'll see an iphone 6s and a 6s plus can we make this name any more confusing but i i am kind of curious what they're going to do for the lower end uh hardware and if anything 
It seems that uh, I, I saw some more rumors this week that the colored versions, the the five C's, are going away. Um, that they're going to keep the five S's and also the the sixes as kind of the lower end stuff. So if you want like the you know the the lowest possible phone, it's now the five S, and you're kind of your mid grade phones are your the sixes, and then now you get the six pluses if you want to, uh, or the six S's, excuse me, if you want to get some like the the latest stuff. Yeah, and that makes you know sense because obviously they've done that for you know year after year doing that, and also the iPhone uh, you know, 5C is basically the iPhone 5, which is a 32-bit only processor, and it, they've you know gotten away from that basically entirely and required apps now to to, uh, uh, to be 64-bit com- uh, compatible, so you have to run uh, 64-bit versions of the code, and uh, it, it definitely makes sense to move away from that. You know, the interesting thing is that uh, you know with these. These new devices that keep coming out, I mean, we're really going to be here at the end of the line for the, the smaller size, uh, the four inch screen, the 5S. How much longer um, are they going to continue to support this? I mean, I, I get it for this year, right? It's going to be at, at this point two years old, and I, that's fine. I mean, you can still sell that device, and it's going to be a, a very capable device for people. But unless they start doing some additional upgrades to the device, I, this is probably the end of the road for that size. Maybe or maybe not. You know, that's the thing we'll have to, of course, wait for next year to see what happens. Are they going to just continue the 5S, uh, you know, for a couple more years because of that screen size and because of the device size? Or are they going to introduce, a, you know, a new model, the 6C or something like that, where it's the smaller screen size? You know, like they just updated the iPod Touch. To me, it doesn't seem quite logical that they'd have just one four-inch screen device for app, developer, app developers to have to support uh, just because of that one device. Wouldn't they have, if they would have, if they would have thought that we're, they're going to be introducing uh, or, or eliminating iPhones of a four-inch screen size, wouldn't they have just gone to the the the, the four-point-seven-inch screen for the new iPod Touch? It's a good point. Uh, yeah, I guess the other thing they could do is are there ways to improve the internals? I mean, as uh, you know, sizes of different things are shrinking down. Do they just create a new configuration and essentially use the same chassis for it and uh, you know, in the same body as well? I mean, it it certainly could make sense uh, if they wanted to do that. Leave the the cameras perfectly capable, eight megapixel. Um, you know, it's not going to be as great as the newer stuff, but it doesn't matter for the low end device. So, uh, anyway, interesting stuff here. Again, September 9th, coming up very very soon. Uh, just a week and a half away. Verizon Communications this week making uh, made Hum uh, its car connected product available in the U.S. This was first revealed in January as Verizon Vehicle, uh, which with an expected June launch. Hum is meant to bring online services to older vehicles shipped without connections built in. The module plugs into the car's diagnostic port and can diagnose mechanical problems, call tow trucks, and also other roadside assistance options, as well as allowing a technician to access the car's computer remotely to suggest potential fixes. Hum will later add turn-by-turn navigation, concierge services, and other connected functionality. It's compatible with over 9,000 models uh, of vehicles released since 1996. The starter kit includes an application, a module, and a Bluetooth speaker. Speaker and it costs $120. Service for the first car is $15 a month. Verizon is though waiving the equipment costs in a limited time promotion with people who add the service to three or more cars charged only $13 per car per month. In software news, users of Twitter on the desktop browser can now opt to receive notifications when they receive direct messages. Notifications are opt-in and will flash in the upper right corner of the browser when new direct messages arrive. Clicking on a notification opens the message in a messaging panel of Twitter.com. Unfortunately, the function is not yet available in the mobile browser. Google Apps users will soon have calendar invites and in, in, in a 
events, that is to say, pre-populated thanks to a new feature headed to Gmail. Gmail will automatically add events to Google's calendar with flight, hotel, and other travel information it recognizes hitting a user's inbox. Google will go beyond creating events. It will include location details, directions, flight numbers, and check-in times. Google says events added by Gmail will only be visible to the calendar owner, who will be able to then delete them if they don't want them and also alter visibility settings to include colleagues. When it becomes available, Google Calendar users will be greeted with a card on their handset followed by an email in Gmail explaining how it works. The feature can be turned off at any time. Google Apps is the business version of Google's core productivity services, including Gmail, Calendar, Docs, and Drive. The feature won't be available to government users, however, and it's not yet being made available to normal users, uh, i.e. of Gmail. Uh, The new functions will roll out to Google Apps users over the next few weeks. Facebook is trialing a smart personal assistant um, inside its messenger application that will complete various tasks for users. For now, the assistant is called Facebook M and is claimed to be superior to competing products. Uh, They say unlike other AI-based services, M can actually complete tasks on your behalf. It can purchase items, get gifts delivered for your loved ones, book restaurant uh, reservations, travel arrangements, appointments, and way more. Facebook is testing M with a small number of people in LA, uh, though Facebook didn't say if or when it would be expanding testing to other users uh, or if the product will actually eventually launch to everyone. M is a competitor to Apple's Siri, Google's Now, and Microsoft's Cortana. And Android device owners are about to see fewer Google-branded apps on their smartphones. The company changed its requirements, and phone makers are no longer forced to put Google+, Play Games, Newsstand, and Play Books onto their smartphones, according to sources cited by the Wall Street Journal. The change comes in response to an investigation uh, from the European Commission conducting, conducted uh, into Google's potential monopolistic business practices. Google has required handset makers to include a series of core applications such as Gmail, Maps, Calendar, and the Play Store. The list of uh, required applications has grown over the years, and the EU saw the presence of these unwanted and unremovable apps as unfair competition to third-party options that do the same thing. Google has not commented on the matter officially. Questions and comments this week. First up is a comment from Aaron. He says, I just saw an ad for MetroPCS. They're touting a $30 plan with all taxes and fees included. $30 period, they say. That would be a nice trend if the carriers could quote a price including all of the miscellaneous fees and taxes, Aaron. Well, yeah, this is a, an interesting comment. I mean, obviously, the you know the, the way that we look at our, our bills right now uh, is, is the entire number, the number that includes all of the taxes and fees and stuff. But when you go and buy a new plan, uh, you're not looking at that number. You're looking at the pre-tax number. And uh, ultimately, you're get hit, you get hit with, I don't know, an additional 5, 10, sometimes 15% in additional taxes, fees, charges, what have you. And so uh, it is nice to see this clarity from MetroPCS. It is. And, and frequently, the, the carriers can't even tell you what the final bill is going to be. They're like, well, we don't know until you put it in and you start your service because it gets calculated much later at the billing time. And and of course, it varies by city, it varies by, you know, zip code. It, it's, it's all over the place. So it is kind of a neat option to have that, you know, this is the straightforward what it's going to cost you out the door. Yeah. And I, you know, I think about where I'm at and I think it's, uh, I'm probably paying around $20 in fees and taxes a month, something like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's something that you have to think about if you're someone who's, you know, managing a budget very tightly. And so you have to, 
have to understand that going in that you need to account for what that is going to cost. So yes, Aaron, it's very interesting how MetroPCS is doing it. I don't know that we're going to see others following suit there, but uh, nonetheless, if you're someone who cares, MetroPCS may be a good option for you. And finally today, a question from the Sticky Note Man. Uh, he says, guys, uh, I've never really depended, uh, depended on any of the cloud storage services that are out there with the exception of a short period of Dropbox uh, backing up my photos on the Galaxy Note. I was using the free service with a five gigabyte limit and when it reached its capacity, I stopped paying attention. Several months later, I went in to clean it up and make better use of it, but everything was gone. I was able to log in, but there's no data. I figured there was some inactivity clause in the, the EULA that I didn't read. But anyway, uh, my primary computer now is Apple or an Apple device. I also use an iPad mini every day in the field. So can you guys discuss your knowledge and experience with the major cloud services out there? Here's the ones I want to know about. Google Drive, iCloud, OneDrive, SkyDrive, Dropbox, Amazon, and also Transporter Sync. Now, I actually have a Transporter sync with a three terabyte external drive, but I've never taken the time to set it up and use it. I like the idea of having my stuff private, but I'm not sure I have the discipline to manage it day to day. Sometimes that truth just hurts. I would appreciate both of you weighing in on the subject. Love the show, the sticky note man. So here's the deal. Um, I, I use a lot of cloud service um, services. I should say I use two, I guess three specifically. And um, this is a very, very timely question based on something that's going on today. So let's talk about the services first. So regularly I use Google Drive, I use iCloud, and I use Dropbox. Um, I also have, but don't actively use, OneDrive and also Amazon storage. So. Um, here's, here's how it works for me. So with OneDrive, um, I have an account and I occasionally use it from time to time for, um, you know, I guess business documents just because there's integration, uh, with Microsoft services, but I, I don't really actively use that one. Uh, when it comes to Amazon, um, I, there's a, a free five gigs that you get with them. Um, but you also get free photo uploading. And so for a long time I was throwing an extra backup of my photos into Amazon. But again, uh, because it doesn't do video videos, I kind of gave up on that because I was only really backing up like half of my, my stuff because there's so much data that I had in video. And Transporter Sync, I, I have never used. So that's that, that's what's going on with those bottom ones you mentioned. Yeah, I haven't heard. It. So of course, Mickey, I use Dropbox as well. Uh, I've used it for a, a few years. It took took you a while to convince me to uh, use it. And I do really like it because it it uh, you know it, it usually seems to work very good. Uh, I have tried OneDrive. I have that on my computer because I've got a uh, 365 account. It's got a terabyte of data storage. It seems to work just like Dropbox, really. Uh, no issue. And of course, if you have that 365 thing, then you've got the uh, the Word and the Excel and all that stuff with the online versions that communicate with OneDrive and also the the uh, desktop apps kind of use that by default now. So then it's kind of it's a lot handier to to access your files from wherever you're at, including your iOS devices now as well. So that's kind of uh, slick as well. But there's uh, there's one thing I have uh, since I have a Synology server, uh, it includes its own you know private cloud uh, where you're hosting your own uh, basically cloud sync storage, just like Dropbox for example, where on any of your PCs that you have, it keeps a synchronized uh, folder from that server onto your computer, uh, offline copies, uh, you know, and if, you, if you're not online, you've got those versions of the file that they'll be uploaded and, and, you know, changes will be synced as soon as you get back online, just like Dropbox. So if you don't really trust the, um, the online providers or don't want your data being scanned because Dropbox and all of these services do scan your data looking for, uh, you know, copyrighted materials and or uh, illegal materials, which uh, whichever that may be. So, you, uh, you know, sometimes you may not want to keep uh, data in the cloud that's not your own private data or mm. data hosting. 
Yeah. And that, that's, that's a really interesting point is that um, whether or not you're paying for it, it's still being held by another company on their servers and they're responsible in many respects for that data. And so they've got to make sure that it's, that's uh, passes the, the, the legality test, I guess is, is the way to put it. So um, just to kind of talk a little bit about how I use these different services. So Google drive is, is kind of my primary uh, drive uh, cloud solution, if you will. So um, I use it for all of my documents, um, very much like how many people use Dropbox. I have all of them there. And that's for one specific reason, and that's because searching in um, in Drive is is very robust. So think of like how Google can search through your, your emails and pull up words and headings and phrases and stuff like that. It's the same thing if you store your files in Drive. It, it parses all that information. It has the index of it so that it can, you can find stuff very quickly, which I do quite a bit. So I keep all of my documents on there for searching and, and purposes of finding things. Um, I also have all of my pictures in there. Um, I've got, I don't know, 150 or 200 gigs of photos and videos and stuff like that. And I use uh, Drive because I've got uh, over a terabyte of space. And so it makes a lot of sense to have all of that big data there as well. And isn't Drive the one with the really pretty much the cheapest rates for uh, buying the extra storage, right? Yeah, it is really. Uh, I think the I've got a, a Chrome box that I purchased. And as a result of buying that, I got uh, a terabyte of uh of storage for two years, but I think otherwise it's only 10 bucks a month or something like that for a terabyte, which is pretty good. I think Apple's option for a terabyte um, is 20 bucks a month or something. I think it's about double of that for iCloud. So anyway, but in Dropbox, I don't, maybe Dropbox, they had a terabyte too for 10 bucks. It may, it may not be quite that much. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think it's more expensive than that. I, I, I know Google for a while, Google drive was way cheaper than the other ones, but I, the other ones have kind of dropped their prices down in comparison. But you know, you're, you just mentioned uh, iCloud and I kind of forgot to talk about that. I don't think iCloud really has the same uh, robust drive support and folder sync support that, that uh, you know, like uh, Dropbox and, and Google drive has, it doesn't have that same kind of uh, ability to keep files offline and sync it. So, I mean, I pull up my um, my iCloud drive here on the Mac and I, I see two folders. I see pages and I see numbers. And then underneath that, I do have some folders So I um, that I had set up at one point, apparently, as I was testing out the service. Um, so I guess what it does is it, it kind of it's like Dropbox in that it can it can sync files and you can actually you can activate uh, in iOS 9 in an iCloud drive icon on your iOS devices now so you can kind of see that so it is better but at the same time it's um, I guess if you've already gone into another solution why would you necessarily want to have another one like this what well, is different so. because it doesn't keep your files offline those are just online only files unlike Dropbox and Google Drive where you can have local synced versions so I'm not looking here. I'm looking at what it's pulling from their site. Interesting. Okay. Um, but, uh, y you know, I think, and I do use uh, Dropbox as well. I use that for more business type functions. Um, I also use that for photo backups, like the immediate backups from my phone. So in fact, I was just doing this this morning because we're at the end of the month and I do this every month. I go in and I pull all of my photos out of my camera uploads in Dropbox and move them over into a specific folder in uh in google drive uh and then well I, I create a hierarchy i guess is what it is so it's you know it's based on i've got a photos folder under that it's every year and then under every year i've got every month for my photos from uh from the camera uploads backup and so so i i do that but i do that on the computer every month i go in and i just drag you know everything in the camera uploads folder off um and i also do the same for my wife and so we do get that's essentially how we back up our pictures is uh through dropbox and then ultimately stored onto google drive 
That said, um, I also uh, use iCloud Drive um, and uh, all the services that are involved uh, there for the photo sharing. In fact, I think we talked about it last week or the week before. Um, I had to upgrade to the 200 gig uh, plan, uh, which is $3.99 a month. Um, not something I wanted to pay for, but at the same time, it's four bucks a month. I'm, I'll deal. Um, and I uh, just as kind of the the more the more data we have, the the harder it is to manage, or the more uh, it, it, time it takes to manage. And so, not having to manage that and just saying, okay, for another three dollars a month, uh, I'll just let it kind of hold on to everything, so I'm not going in and deleting stuff because that was trying to manage that for a while. And especially with videos and stuff, it just fills up so so quickly. Um, so um, all of that said, those are the services that I use. So it's a primary like the the big data block is Google Drive. Uh, and then I use Dropbox for for business uh, documents and then also for photo backups and then uh, immediate photo backups to then pull off for the archive. And then also some iCloud stuff as well for photos just so that I've got a backup copy of that. So here's here's the interesting thing with all of that. So this morning, uh, it is Sunday, and uh, the, the issue that we've run into is that when we record this show, we use Dropbox for the syncing back and forth of files in order to put together the final show. And we use Dropbox to do that. And Dropbox is down today. Uh, and who knows how long it's going to be down. And uh, we'll see what ultimately happens here. But right now, we've got no, um, I'll just say, online cloud storage solution. We've got our own private methods that we'll share f- files. And you'll get the show out just as you would. And there's no not going to be really anything to, to deal with on that. But if I was someone who was using Dropbox um, and was trying to upload everything uh, or deal with a bunch of stuff uh, on there, I would be having a lot of problems this morning. Um, so there's, there is that big thing to keep in mind is that when you're relying on services like these, you're relying on their, um, you know, their backhaul, you're relying on uh, their security, you're relying on basically them to manage this whole process for you. And so if they've got an issue, then you've got an issue. And the, the, the reason why I, uh, you know, started with Dropbox in the first place is it does keep you know, a complete offline, as long as you have it set that way, you know, by default, it's configured where you have an offline copy of all of your files on your computer. So, uh, you know, in the, even though it's down, you still have all of your data. And if the Dropbox service just shut down tomorrow, your data is still sitting there in your folder. So that's, I mean, to me, that's why Dropbox is great. Uh, but of course, being down is absolutely terrible. Yeah, and it's it's going to cause inconvenience for some people. And granted, it's a Sunday, so maybe not as much. But uh, we'll see how long it stays down for, and uh, ultimately, if uh, you know, if this becomes a bigger widespread issue. And of course, you know, you expect after well over an hour of being uh, down, you'd expect there'd be a tweet uh, out from Dropbox saying that you know the service is down, but there's not. Interesting. I was just about to go and look at that. So no one has mentioned anything, huh? Nope. Okay, so Dropbox Ops. Uh, yeah, this is not the Dropbox account <laughs> anyway. So, so th- I mean, that's just one thing to to keep in mind here because there's there's nothing um, there's nothing that is going to be more secure than you keeping your own files and you managing everything yourself. There's also nothing more. Uh, unsafe than only having one copy of your data. And for uh, for those that have lost data in the past, it's just so imperative that you keep backup copies of all of your stuff and you don't try and uh, uh, you don't try and rely on one particular service or something uh, that is going to be potentially prone to failure. Um, you, you need to have multiple backups uh, and multiple copies of your data. So just keep all of that in mind as you're putting this together in your solution uh, that you want to you want to do something that's got some some fail safes in it. So if something does happen, then you can still access and get to your data in some way or another. 
Well, that's it for us today. If you have any questions or comments, questions at the cell phone junkie.com is our email address. Phone number is 650-999-0524. Send us in any questions or comments uh, that you have. We'll get them on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.